Welcome to the Where Are All My Friends Holiday Cop-Out Special. That's kind of a joke, but typically around this time, episodes don't do quite as well. And with all of the ones that I have coming up that I've recorded, they're so good that I don't want them to get missed. However, I also didn't want to put nothing out this week. So I figured I've been talking about doing these best of kind of episodes, and I had this really cool idea where I wanted to take my three favorite clips from the last three episodes, put them all together, and just make a short little clip, like a best of episode. So we're going to do it this week. Let me know if you like it. I think it'll be cool. Outside of that, I wanted to give you a quick update on the podcast. I've been working on a Patreon, and I really don't want to be the whack guy that makes a Patreon and just asks for money from supporters and doesn't give anything back. So I've been putting a lot of thought into some really cool intentional merch and everybody that supports will get pieces of that along with other content and other bonus things that would actually be cool. So I'm really excited on that. Anyway, let's start this off. The first clip is Gavin Chops, who is Chelsea Cutler's drummer, the founder of Pack Records and the founder of Bear and Owl Management. And this clip is us talking about goals and how they really don't matter if you don't take action and do something to accomplish them. I hope you enjoy. It really comes down to the people that actually do things. There's a lot of people that talk about things. There's a lot of people that talk about doing things, that have an idea, that have goals. But goals are, goals are, are almost meaningless to me because winners and losers have goals. It's the processes that you have in your life, the systems that you build in your life, you know, falling in love with the everyday grind of it is what's going to get you there. Because what, what happens when you get to a goal, you know, like, or what happens if you have an idea of a goal? Nothing. It's like, you got to like have these systems in place. You got to build out these habit structures that are going to get you to success, to your goals and beyond. Because another thing is goals, goals are momentary. They only last for that one second, then you want more. So like, you got to fall in love with what you're doing your day to day, because the goal is going to come and go, but what you do every day is going to be the same. So I love the grind that I do every day. I love like the work that I have to do every day. Even when I was so broke and, you know, just, you know, making money just to pay my rent and eat a bowl of rice, you know, like even like that, I was happy because I was doing what I loved. Yeah. And like it was it was the burden I was willing to bear and I'm always willing to bear. Bro, it's I I get like too fired up about that and I know that those are clichés <laughs> but I feel it. I really really feel it and I don't know. I think that that's such an important part and you're so right. You said that so so well. So, ah, yes, I agree. That's I guess that's I'll leave it there. I agree. Well said. Um talk to me about your current life though. So, you did a lot of grinding, a lot of figuring out. Um, interested in this current life of yours, of what it's like to be Chelsea Cutler's touring drummer when coronavirus is not a thing, and what led you to having these super well-defined companies. What's this look like? Um, drumming for Chelsea, obviously, we're not doing a lot of touring right now. We've done a couple of driving shows, which have been really fun, but not as... They're fun, you know. I love being on stage, regardless. But playing in front of crowds of people is just one of the most unbelievable feelings ever. Yeah. And but how I balance, you know, doing that and running businesses is it's taken a lot of 
time, you know, looking at my day to day, like what I do, you know, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed and where I fit everything in. And for example, when I'm on tour, you know, life can get a bit different because tour life is, you're like living on the edge of reality almost because you don't really, you don't have a normal structure of life. You can do kind of whatever you want as long as you're at the shows and you don't know what day it is. There's no such thing as weekends or weekdays. You're in different cities all the time. So you're like, you're kind of like looking in on the world. It's, it's a really interesting position to be in because your normal day-to-day life doesn't matter. So I've done a lot of different things to kind of structure and different on different tours. I've done different things. One time I just, I said, all right, there's like, uh, there's like 50 days in this tour. Um, just today's day one. And when I end this day 50 and no more weekdays or weekends, it's just 50 days. And yep. uh, I have, and I try and figure out like what I have to do in those 50 days for like my company as well. And cool. that's, that's, that's helped me. So it's just like, it, it gives me a opportunity to kind of live outside of the structural norms of society, which have been really interesting, but also really hard to, you know, kind of sim- like come back to, you know, normal life after that. Yeah. But, no, I feel you. And it's, it's actually like, it's something that I miss. Like the days of touring for me, like you said that so well. And the, the structure that you do get out of blocking things up of like, this is 50 days. It, you have then a goal that you set within that, or then you know you're going to be home for two months, something like that. And then you're going to be back out. So then it's like, okay, while I'm home, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to fully build this. I'm going to fully get this done, whatever. And it almost makes you appreciate and utilize your time better because it doesn't just become, oh, I'll do it over the weekend. I'll do it next week, whatever. It's like these finite blocks. And it's a really interesting, completely out of the norm uh, structure, but it ends up working for certain people. It seems like you've really utilized that. Hello again. This next clip is from Chris Ruff, who is the director of international at Fueled by Ramen, Electra, and Roadrunner Records. He is the man. And this clip is specifically about him taking crazy pride in the work that he does and caring about his artists. He's gotten really crafty with the marketing campaigns that he's done. So that's what this clip is. Enjoy. I treat every band differently, which I don't think everyone does. And I and that's not me like saying that I'm better than anyone. I just think that it's like I go back to 15, 16 year old me and remember like what I loved about music and what I loved about like how I found stuff. And that still is true today. And it's, you know, it's doing signed versions. It's doing like special events that you remember. Like for Paramore, we did a, an album playback where we like linked in the band and they came on Skype and like spoke to 20 fans and the 20 fans got to hear the album like, 24 hours before it came out and all that stuff is just like so I just honed in really on that fan base stuff which at the time no one was really doing and it's definitely more of a thing now so to to really like break that down because I think there's two things that are really cool about that one I love to speak to it because if anybody's listening to this trying to find their place in music I love setting the example of like you leaned into a strength of you were a genuine fan and you went back to that and that's what caused success and just showing that that's valuable. Like caring and giving a shit about music and knowing those things is valuable and people look for that. But then also just hearing about like 
wow, that's a job. Like that's, you get to do that. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I, so you would do that with every band. You would just like really focus in and look at what, what was making the fan base and the unique attributes yeah, to every artist. Band or artist that I work, I, have, I can genuinely say I'm friends with every one of them. I've got every single one of their cell phone numbers. I speak to them all. Like I want to understand. Like that was a big thing, that, again, at the time where it was, it was more of that. I think I came into the music industry when it was definitely a cross between the old school and the new school coming in. Like there was still people that were in the music industry when I started that were like very 90s mentality where it was all sales based and like there was a communal bowl of cocaine and there was, you know, it was all that like... Yeah, it, like very like, that's like, I feel like the epitome of like suits. Like yeah. when you like music industry, it's like suits and there isn't a personal connection and it's very business and it's very just like black and white budgets and campaigns and not what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And then when the financial crisis happened, all them guys left because they weren't making any money anymore. And then there was no money in music. So everyone that came up was like younger, didn't care so much about getting a massive wage straight away. And it was more passion based, I guess. And I was like at the early version of that. So Wow. That's, that's really interesting to think about because it's almost like during that era of so much like pirating of music you had this weird reset where you weren't making money on digital sales or streaming yet like itunes wasn't even fully like ripping and then cds were all going away physical distribution was like slowing down so the music industry did have like this dip where it was like not money and you couldn't afford these super expensive lavish salaries and these people doing all these things so that is almost that wave where the true fans came in and it was like, I don't give a shit. I just want to work in music. And it feels like you're kind of explaining that era. And then you being empowered to do a job that you were really good at too, right? Like to have a position where during that time, you could kind of break rules and learn artists and do things a little differently and have a team that's like, yeah, fuck yeah, do that. Yeah, for sure. Like the way I the way I look at every artist is that they are essentially putting their livelihood in my hands, and I don't take that lightly. It's like if you're giving me your debut album or your tenth album, it's still your life, and it's how you make money. So if yeah. I'm not working my ass off and working out the best way to break that or to do better than the last album, then I'm technically not doing my job properly, which is not right. Dude. And like, I'm not trying to make this an advertisement for Fueled by Ramen or that umbrella around it. But I just, it's something that I can't help but notice of the people involved around that label since day one care so much about the culture. And it's so much more than just a job. It's like all of these people that was like, I was a fan of this. This means this much to me. Like, it feels like a family on both sides. And that to me, like, I don't know, that, that's so impressive to me. And it's so encouraging to hear that that exists on the industry side of it. Because I think it becomes really easy to not have a look into the industry, hear major labels or hear labels and be like, oh, they're all a bunch of suits. But then to hear like you have people that are like, yeah, like figure this band out, do it, do what feels right, follow your instincts, all these things. I'm like, yeah, there's still hope. Cool stuff exists. This last clip is from Jack Gallagher, who is Mount Joy's manager 
and we're talking about how he overcame the craziest year possible and kept such a level head with everything. You know, it just kind of hit us like a ton of bricks. Because this is like mid-March. Um, we have a bunch of festivals coming up in April, May, June, and then our album release, which is June 5th. So you, your year was dialed. Like this was yeah. gearing up to be the big year. Yeah, it was exciting. Like you can see a band touring and selling out shows in like 600 cap rooms, but the money is still super tight with all the expenses. And so this was kind of the first year where we we're going to be playing like 1,500 to 3,000 cap venues headlining in this fall, where we were going to like people, band members were going to make money for the first time. And so it was, we were just yeah. not just about the money, excited to play these rooms like across the country that are some of the most famous spots. And we were putting out an album that we wanted to help push like when we play shows it really you can see online how things move from like with streaming and um on socials and everything else so um, playing those shows is gonna be a big part to support the album too so i think for about two months we felt pretty helpless but we had to get creative around the album release to promote it to do radio sessions by like all of them in different areas with the keyboard player being in portland to the guys being in long beach to the guys in Philly, we had to like piece together these sessions. We had to do different remote content. And, you know, the lead singer was doing tons of drops for radio and stuff like that. Just all of this like remotely where we had to just do anything we could to promote the album. My next question is, as this all happens, as the manager, where where is it in your head where you're like, all right, it's time to get real proactive. Like, where did you have that moment of like, I'm about to have to change gears and figure out a whole rollout in a whole different way? Well, right away, we realized we wouldn't be able to do like these different promo type runs we had thought of. We were going to do like a cool album release show in New York for like press and partners and stuff. All of those, that rug got pulled out from under us. So it was me like reaching out and talking to our label, Dual Tone, and members of our radio team and saying like, we'll do anything. Like, if you need us to do anything, we'll do it. Like, making ourselves available. So Um, you were almost there first. Like, you hit up your people first and you're like, hey, mm -hmm. it's about to get weird, whatever. Whatever ideas you have, we'll do it. And they're proactive too. But like, I think I saw like one person do a late night show where they piece people together on different like Zoom screens and play the song and it sounded good because it was mixed and timed properly to a click, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, all right, we need to do that for like everything. Um, And then... You know, a lot of people bundle tickets with their physical or digital albums for to sell them yeah. to like kind of have a big first week. And we didn't really want to do that because we didn't want to make our ticket price crazy. We want we were more worried about having fans there than we were about this big first week number. Um, we mm-hmm. were worried that that could like rub people the wrong way potentially. But what we yeah. did do is we made these bundles where people would get our vinyl. And we would do like Zoom shows with you or meet and greets or um, all sorts of different digital things for fans. We did like these quarantine sessions, which were different live recordings of some of the songs from the album that we would send you the MP3s. Um, yeah. The Zoom shows, you know, were for like 25 people. Oh, Those were like crazy. Successful. Like, at a certain point, we're like, we can't do these anymore. Cause like, oh my God. Whoa. So instead yeah. of like doing like Instagram live or like something like that, you would do like you would cap a Zoom. And yeah. then it would be a real unique show where it wasn't just a pre-recorded thing. Like every Zoom show yeah. was its own 
Yeah, we would do and, like five songs. We would do like two songs while he tunes the guitars. He'd answer some questions from the people in the chat. Also, we did do an Instagram live stream. We saw a lot of people doing Instagram live fundraisers. We thought it would be cool to kind of do a variety of show of sorts with our friends that we thought people might find interesting. So we pulled friends from like the music world and sports world and just like personalities in general. So like we had um, their, their friend Nolan Patrick, who plays for the Flyers, came on the Instagram live. Um, Connor Barwin, who used to play for the Eagles, they're they're from Philly. So we had uh, Kevin O'Connor, who writes for The Ringer, and then we had a bunch of bands, kind of in their space, like Western the Lumineers, Camp, Houndmouth, uh, one of the guys from Rainbow Kitten Surprise, and Adam Melcher, who I also manage, and a few other folks come on um, the live stream, and we just raise money via Venmo the whole time for uh, Phil Abundance, which is the Philly food bank, but they raised $30,000 over the course of a few hours. And it was like, the engagement was crazy because it was kind of like these people were coming in and out as guests on the show. And it was just a really fun night. I think we're going to do it again sometime soon for a different cause. I really just like, it feels like there is a general vibe to everything you guys have done this year where it's like, it's not how can we make money first? It's how do we get through this together? How do we still bring something to our fans? How do we still help our community? How do we make the best out of the worst? So Mm -hmm. all these things you've done, none of it is ideal, but it was like proactive in the best way. Not only were you fast and proactive in saying, we're willing to do whatever radio shows want or whatever people are asking of us, you were also just like, having fun with it and just not overthinking it. You were just like, cool, like, let's send it. Let's go. Let's try it. And that to me just feels so right in this. So to hear you explain it further and to hear like the success behind it, I'm like, that's what's, that's it. That's what I love. So there it is, the Where Are All My Friends holiday cop-out best of episode. I hope you liked it. These next couple episodes that I have recorded are some of my favorites. I talked to some people in music that were just incredibly inspiring. And I also talked to a few people a little outside of music, but in some incredibly cool industries. May or may not have had a host from Vice and may or may not have had somebody who worked with one of my favorite brands and one of my biggest inspirations growing up. So definitely subscribe. I'm stoked for you to hear it.